Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll. Less work, more clean. Terms apply. G'day, mates. It's Bee Buster here. And before the episode begins, I would just like to let you know that Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71, features scary stories from around the globe on a weekly basis that aim to fuel your nightmares with a smile. And if you enjoy the podcast, it would be great if you could hit that subscribe button and drop a review. Thanks for listening, guys. And without further ado, let's begin. Okay. So, I'm an owner or operator traveling industrial electrician. I also feel for relevance to this story that I should mention that I am a woman. My job takes me everywhere, so being somewhere in the middle of nowhere with strange sounds and critters kind of comes with the territory. So does poor bathroom accommodations, to be honest. A couple of weeks ago, we jumped on a quick turnaround, four weeks, at a, a something new to me, a plant that breaks down and processes utility-grade meats. This is basically the stuff that goes into dog food and potted meat, all that wonderful stuff. It's in the uppermost corner of NW Arkansas, and man, it stinks so bad in this place, and it's still running while I'm there to do the electrical on one of the four new process lines or something. It's a large addition, basically a new wing of the building. Unfortunately though, they don't have a sufficient number of portalettes, and the one that they do have, they claim hasn't been cleaned in a while because the crane is in the way. And despite the fact that the site has the equipment to move the toilets so they won't be blocked, that doesn't mean that they're going to do it. So, basically, I make a deal with the boss that I'll be using the bathroom for number twos at the country store about seven miles from the site. I noticed the chemical building was set a good distance behind the plant, a very typical placement. Behind it, they had like a slab with a condenser then a patch of grass on a downslope that led to a four-inch chain-link fence, I could walk around and access a patch of woods with about four or five degrees of gentle slope before a steep drop-off of about 40. 
And about 20 after the flat ground, there was a really lovely creek there. And that was the perfect place to pee. So, for the next week, I was in a walk-in ceiling above the boiler room and peed in a bottle mostly. I did go to the woods patch a couple of times to pee, but everything was normal. The first time that it got strange, though, was in the second week. I crossed the fence to pee on the gentle slow patch before the drop-off, and something just came over me not to let my butt face the drop-off. I don't know, it was weird, like the sensation of being watched or something. I stood there and scoped it out to see if maybe another plant worker was there to take a leak, but there wasn't. It was odd, I'll admit, but... I mean, whatever. Back to work. I came out later that day to pee and still, I just felt like I wasn't alone. The feeling of being watched continued as well and I just kind of, I don't know, did my business, faced my butt away from the woods and went back to work. Until sometime in the third week, it was early in the morning and I was peeing in my spot in the woods and something just suddenly let loose. It was the unmistakable sound of a large heavy body falling down the incline. I heard the leaves crunching, the tumbling sound rolling down the hill. I jumped up in midstream, scrambling to pull up my pants. I spun around in the direction of the noise to see what it was. It took me a second of scanning too and the only thing that I could see that didn't look normal was a sort of black lump at the bottom of the incline near a large rock. I stood for a moment, observing, thinking that it was possibly a bear. But this thing was perfectly still, and no matter how long I looked at it, I couldn't make out any discernible shape. It also didn't move. Like, I was convinced that whatever it was, it wasn't breathing because of just how still it was. I shrugged it off, though, and... It was weird, but I went back to work. I spent the next couple of days walking the distance to the field that I parked my truck to be at. I guess I just was not in the mood to go back to those woods after that. Eventually, though, I broke down and I went back to pee in the woods at some point. I just sort of ignored the feeling of being watched, faced out into the woods, down the slope my whole time that I was out there. I repeated this for a couple of days too until one evening, late in the day, I went to pee but this time as soon as I rounded the corner of the chemical building, this, I don't know how to describe it, but just wave washed over me. It was like when I rounded that corner, every instinctual alarm was telling me to get out of there right now. And of course, as stupid as a human I am, I ignored this instinctual warning and still went to pee. For some reason, and I don't know why, but I just refused to face the downslope this time and there was like a voice in my head assuring me just don't look back. Thankfully, uh, I finished peeing with no incident. Then my phone rings, which legit startled me so much, and it was my husband who was looking for me. We worked together. I tell him to hang on because I hear the noise of something splashing loudly in the creek and I turn around and to this day I still cannot explain what I saw. It just doesn't remotely resemble anything of this world, I, I think. I'm going to do my best to describe it but 
bear with me because, like I said, I've never seen anything like it. So, you know those Muppets on Sesame Street whose appendages would stretch out and come back in? Imagine one of those, but all black, like Vanta black, but very fuzzy looking, just like the Muppets on Sesame Street. It ran in a bipedal fashion, but its legs would sort of slink out and get as long as it stepped. Imagine something black and fuzzy with two flailing fuzzy slinkies for legs running with matching arms flailing in a similar manner. In its locomotion, its skinny fuzzy body and neck kind of expanded and wobbled up and down too. It was just running west and cut across the creek and without breaking stride ran up on the bank. I was kind of in awe for a moment. My mind just couldn't process what I was seeing. Finally though, I frantically muttered to my husband, it's wrong, something is really wrong, I need you, dropped my phone where I was standing and just ran back into the unit. I ended up running into my husband when I got up the stairs from the boiler room and I must have looked pretty bad because he grabbed me, shaking me a little, demanding to know what was wrong. Obviously, I couldn't really explain to him what I saw at this time. All I could get out was the black thing in the woods. My husband insisted that I show him, so I took him around the back of the chemical building to show him and the atmosphere wasn't the same. It was much lighter and nothing like before. My husband looked around, saw my phone on the ground, went and got it, and looked down the drop-off, but nothing. My husband looked at my phone, gave me a strange look, and handed me my phone. He asked me again that night what happened, but when I made efforts to describe what I saw, he seemed to get frustrated. He kept trying to compare it to known animals, like a monkey, a bear, a dog, but... I told him that it wasn't even close. In any case, obviously I never went to pee there again the rest of the time that I was on that job. But I'm wondering, can anyone here tell me what I could have possibly seen? Like, seriously, what did I see? What the heck was that thing? So our house was built back in 99, about a year or so before I was born. I've had a few odd experiences in my life too, but the scariest and the craziest was when I was 10 or 11 years old. So my brother's ex-girlfriend and I, we were hanging out in one of the back rooms, now our current roommate's room, watching a movie late one night. My parents and brothers, they weren't home when this happened, since my parents were out on a date at the time I think. But we were watching a comedy, so I know that this wasn't just my imagination playing tricks on me. And halfway through the movie, she ended up pausing it. She asked, Hey, did, did you hear that? I said, Uh, no? What? She shook her head and we continued watching the movie. About five minutes later, she stopped it again with a confused look. She asked again, Are your parents home yet? I said, um, no, they went out on a date not that long ago, so they shouldn't be back yet. After the third time of hearing something, she paused the movie. I got up and opened the door to our hallway, and there, 
I saw what I can only describe as an orb of light move quickly out of the hallway. What the... I exclaimed, walking towards the kitchen where it darted to. Now, our hallway is straight, with my room completely opposite of the room that we were in, on the other side. There's also a middle bedroom on the right, and just after that, her bedroom. The entrance to the kitchen is on the left side, but you can actually see it if you're in the hallway. And so, when I saw the orb dart out of the hallway, I didn't see it after that, since I saw it for a brief second. We both walked out towards the kitchen, though, and... The cupboards that held our pots and pans suddenly just opened and our pots and pans flew out and onto the kitchen floor. At the same time, we heard what sounded like muffled voices all throughout our house, going room per room. It was almost like a whole bunch of people were walking through the house as we felt vibrations on the floor, almost like the whole house was pulsating to put words to it. It wasn't loud at all, but... It's hard to describe fully since it's been a while, but that's the best that I can do. Then, I looked towards our living room and on a glass table, a globe, which was in the middle of the table, moved towards the edge and dropped to the floor. We stood there just sort of watching everything and after that, it just fell completely dead silent. We ended up going outside after this and waiting for my parents to come home and a friend of hers came over and she told her what happened. But weirdly, after that, it just never happened again. To this day, I've never had anything like that happen to me ever and to this day, I still have no clue what actually happened. It must have been some poltergeist activity or something though that just randomly sparked out of nowhere. I mean, our house isn't haunted, but I have had some odd things happen to me, for years even, but like I said, nothing like that. What I mean is, oftentimes, I'll hear my name being called out of nowhere, often when I'm alone minding my own business too. Occasionally, I'll think that I'll see shadowy figures, or at least I think they're shadowy figures, walk out of the corner of my eye into the hallway. That's something that would happen a lot when I was a kid too. I think that in my recent years of becoming a, a born-again Christian, I believe that the activity has stopped and I've barely had any experiences, which makes me think that maybe it was possibly demonic in nature or something. Now, our house might have been built recently, but that doesn't mean the area surrounding it, before the subdivision that is, doesn't have some history to it. My stepmom, now my dad's current wife, because of parents' divorce in 2013, has even said that she saw a soldier at the foot of her bed when she was falling asleep one time. Or she also said that she saw a little boy that walks into the hallway, but this was just a one-time thing. I don't know, guys. What do you all think? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. 
Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. When I was 15, I found a job in a local newspaper for a live-in babysitter. It was summer and I wanted to make some money. I lived in a rural area and didn't have transportation to get to a mall or fast food place to work at the usual jobs for teens. There was no public transportation where I lived and no jobs in the rural town that I lived in too, so this uh, I had to take it. I called the number for the live-in babysitting job and a man answered. I found out that he was divorced with two young children, that they were school age, elementary school, and were home for summer vacation and he needed someone to watch them while he was at work. He spoke to my mother on the phone and she agreed to allow me to do the live-in job. As an adult, I questioned so many of her decisions, and certainly this one. But in any case, he picked me up and drove me to the house and while driving he told me that he was engaged. He said that his fiancée was his former babysitter and she was a few years older than I was. As a 15 year old, this didn't set off any alarm bells. I just thought that it was weird that someone my age would want to be with an older man. He was probably in his maybe late 30s to mid 40s I would guess. I thought it was weird when I was taking the children for a walk and a woman who lived in the neighborhood looked at me in a really odd way, like something was wrong about me walking with those children. And when I smiled and waved, she just looked away and sort of ignored me. I didn't give it a lot of thought though, just seemed strange I guess. In any case, the house was a split level home, a style where the floor levels are split. The main living area and the bedrooms are on the top level and the lower level has just like a living room area and a single bedroom. And that was my assigned room. Now, not long after I began living in the home to babysit for this guy, he knocked on my bedroom door after I had gone to bed. I was kind of freaked out by this to be honest, and I opened the door partially to ask what he wanted. He acted all friendly and asked me if I wanted a beer like he was cool with that, and I simply said no and waited for him to leave and shut the door. The next day, I told him that I no longer wanted to do the job and had him take me home. Now, I didn't fully understand at that time that he was a predator who was definitely trying to groom me into having a relationship with him, but I knew enough to know that something was just not right about the situation and that he was creepy and something just told me to get out of there. So, I've only ever really told this story to a handful of people, and for the most part, I feel like they don't really believe me, due to the similarities with a certain popular demonic movie series which came out well after these events. But in any case, I've decided to tell this story. So, when I was 12 years old, my mum and I found a Ouija board in a toy store and thought that it would be fun to play with. 
We took it home, but it didn't really do anything. The next night I slept at a friend's house and I distinctly remember this because it was the first time that I got drunk. The next morning my mum picked me up and I was hungover, but she didn't seem to notice. We drove to the local cemetery and went to her brother's grave who died when he was two or three. She told me that she had a friend over that night and her baby brother spoke to them through the Ouija board and he told her some terrible stories apparently and made up a story about one of the older siblings jumping on him which is what she'd been told. She started messing with the Ouija board a lot after that too and whatever it was always said that it was her brother. Within that week I had a friend whose dad actually ended his life. I'd walked to his house the day of too and his dad told me that he'd been out all night and was acting strange so I left. I'm sure now that my friend had already passed by this time and he admitted to everything that night to my friend's mum and brother. Shortly after that I went to my mum's friend's house and was watching TV while they played with the Ouija board. They called me over telling me that my friend who had just died wanted to talk but when I got onto it, it just went to nonsense really and I really don't remember a lot after that. My aunt stayed the night shortly after her and my mum played with the board. The next morning, my aunt said that she had a weird dream that the living room wall was covered with blood. Our cat started paying a lot of attention to said wall after this too which was really weird. He would just sort of sit there and stare, bobbing his head around like he was watching a, a fly or something. But one night, my mum went to the neighbor's house and I was alone in my room and heard a really loud thump in the living room. I later described it as if someone dropped one of our very heavy candles to the floor from the ceiling. But after this, my door handle moved, which I distinctly remember. I was so scared that I just completely froze, but... After a few minutes, I managed to call out to see if my mum was home. It was a small house, so I would have heard her. I opened the door and I didn't hear anything. There was nothing out of place in the living room, but in the kitchen, every door that could have been opened was wide opened and nobody was there. I ran to the neighbor's house crying and they came to investigate. I don't remember much after that. Just that my mum and aunt buried the Ouija board somewhere and after it, nothing else happened. Several years later, I tried to talk to my mum about this but she refused, saying that even talking about it scared her too much. So I'm not sure if she experienced anything more or not but what I experienced, I'll never forget. This occurred over a decade ago when I was 18 I think. I was visiting a friend about an hour's drive from my college dorms where I lived at the time. She had an older boyfriend who would buy us alcohol so we hung out for a few hours in the evening playing drinking games and just generally having a good time. By the time that I was heading back to my dorm about 2 in the morning I think. I was far too intoxicated to be driving but like a lot of people I didn't let that stop me. So I took off and about a mile down the road, at the intersection to turn onto the interstate, I hit a pothole. It seemed fine at first, so I kept on going. And just as I'm entering the interstate, I heard it. My tire had gone completely flat. 
I pulled over just to make sure and there's no mistake, it's gone completely flat. As I was stopped on the shoulder, an old Cadillac passed me hitting the brakes. I could tell that they were looking at me but I was drunk and I didn't care and figured that I'd probably slow down and look at somebody in my situation too. I reached for my cell phone to call my friend whose house I had just left and as soon as I hit dial, my phone died. I didn't have a car charger or anything too but I knew how to change a tire and I knew that there was a trucker pull off up ahead in an area locals refer to as the bean field. The bean field is basically just a large swath of woods and fields on either side of the interstate. I think it's not developed because of its proximity to a landfill but I don't really know. Either way, I drove slowly up to the trucker pull-off. Nobody was there, except that old Cadillac that I saw earlier. His car was off, but his headlights were on and they were pointed straight into those woods. And I don't know what it was about it, but seeing that car there like that just sent chills through me. I was questioning whether or not it was the same car that slowed down on the interstate before, even though I knew that it was. I guess that I just didn't want to think that I was in danger. I kept telling myself, at least it's not a cop. At least it's not someone who could get me in trouble. When I look back, I can't believe that the worst case scenario going through my mind at the time was being arrested or being an intoxicated minor and driving drunk. Still, I, I parked on the opposite side of the pull-off, thinking if someone was going to come for me, I would at least have a few seconds to react. I then sat and I waited. Nervously, I watched his car. But what was he doing? He stayed in his old Cadillac and after about 20 or 30 minutes of just sitting there, I thought that I'll just change the tire as quickly as I can. I got out of my car and I got my jack and my tire iron from the trunk. Still no movement from the man in the Cadillac, so I loosened the lug nuts and I started to jack up my wheel. I almost had the car lifted enough to change the wheel too when I heard a door open. The man was coming straight towards me. I picked up my tire iron and I got back in my car, locked all the doors and watched him walk towards my car with something in his hands. Maybe his own tire iron? I'm not sure but we were the only people around. The interstate was empty at this stage with the exception of a passing car here and there. I was drunk, sweating, shaking, and the intensity of this situation was really beginning to sink in. In fact, as I'm sharing this with you, the feeling is beginning to come back to me. I started telling myself that if you have to, you fight for your life. He stood by my door for a few seconds, then knocked. I don't know what possessed me to do this, but I cracked my window just slightly, he asked having car troubles and I said no I can change my own tire. I would just like if he would leave me alone. But he didn't leave. Instead he started telling me that he just dropped his two year old grandbaby off with his daughter. She lives in this area. He just stops here sometimes to watch the deer. He said that he just got an automatic jack and why won't I just let him help me? He was persistent. He kept saying that he could get my car up in no time. I kept saying no and until he leaves I'm not going to get out of my car. I gripped my tire iron and he started becoming angry and he wasn't going anywhere. And just then blue lights flashed behind me. I was honestly so scared at this point that 
I was about to wet my pants when the cop walked up and asked what was going on. I tried to tell him, but the man cut me off. Oh, um, I'm just helping her change her tire. I've got it under control and a number of other excuses to try to get the cop to leave. He didn't leave. He told the man that he would take over from here and to go on home. He must have seen the fear in my face and he said that I could get out of the car and that he could stay with me. So I got out, noticeably swaying and slurring. I opened my trunk again to get my donut and was horrified that I had an empty 30 pack and some empty cans were just rattling around in my trunk. Surprisingly though, the policeman didn't really seem to care that much. He changed my tire. The man was still lingering off to the side, trying to make small talk with this cop. I think as an excuse to stick around until he was gone. Until he had to forcefully tell him to get away from me before he finally got into his old Cadillac and left. He even followed me to a gas station and aired up my donut for me and followed me probably halfway back to my dorms before he finally turned off and went his own way. To this day, I still think that that officer, he saved me from something that night. He saved me from a shallow grave in the beanfield. The story I'm about to tell you guys has never been discussed outside of my immediate family. All of this took place in a matter of minutes. I'm going to go into exact details so that you guys can decide for yourself what really happened that night. Because I don't know what to think. So 2002, New England. I'm finally settled into bed. I fall asleep the moment that my head hit the pillow. I was catching an early night in the AM for business. And suddenly I hear my eight-year-old son Russell running down the hall, rounding the corner that enters our bedroom. All I can think to myself is, not tonight, Russ. But it's like he has a built-in alarm system that goes off every time that I have a business trip. But Russ and I are no stranger to this drill. He always stands a few feet from my side of the bed and whispers, I don't feel good. He doesn't want to wake his dad who has to see patients in the morning, and is quick to debunk Russ's plan to stay home from school. Exhausted, I go into mum mode and recite the ailment list. Okay, Russell, is it your head? It's your tummy. Are you hot? Are you cold? No answer. I force myself to sit up now. I glance at my alarm. It's like 3.40 a.m. I don't turn on the light, although in reality my husband could sleep through a tornado. Russell, you need to answer me. What hurts? No answer. Okay, Russ. Come with me. I'll take you back to bed. I reach for my glasses on the nightstand. I put my hand out to Russ, but now seeing his small outline in the dark. Only something isn't right. Although my room is dark, the child in front of me was so much darker than the actual room. He is the same height as Russell. He's wearing the same red shorts and t-shirt that I helped Russ into at bedtime. But never have I seen a child so severely emaciated. His arms and legs look like thin spindles. He has no hair. I can't turn away from his hollowed out eyes and he seems to be looking nowhere. His mouth is quite full, almost too large for his thin face with corners that turn up creating a sort of strange forced smile. The high bridge of his nose reminded me of the profiles that you see in Egyptian hieroglyphs. 
and he looks as though he may be sleepwalking or lost. Deeply confused, is this a friend Russell took home or a child who somehow wandered into our home? Deeply confused, is this a friend Russell took home or a child who somehow wandered into our home? Keeping my eyes on him, I try to reach for my husband. I need to shake him awake, but he's at the very edge of our king-size bed and I can't reach him without moving completely from my spot. And I can't bring myself to move an inch. So I call out to my husband. Michael, wake up. Please, wake up. Somebody's in our house. He continues snoring. The child is perfectly still and now looking directly at me. I leaned forward to examine him more closely but to my horror I realized that this, this is not a child. Rocking side to side now on its thin feet I can see that it's grinning. It kept making a sort of guttural sound followed by a child's soft cry that sounded exactly like Russell's yet its mouth never opened. Quickly tilting its head to one side as if trying to ask me a question, a low humming begins like the sound of a TV, and I'm trembling, but my rational brain tells me that this has to be a dream, a lucid dream, but how can I be dreaming if I'm sitting up like this? I can read the time on my clock, I see my nightstand, my bureau, I touch my face, my hands, I touch my eyes, they're definitely open, I now have no doubt that I'm awake and the figure instantly starts to move again, stepping closer in a quick disjointed movement as if it has a sort of severe curvature of the spine. It's too much for my brain to acknowledge. I've never been this frightened in my life, but I feel like I have to remain strong. I need to figure out what's going on here. It's slowly moving backwards in the exact way that it moves forwards, but about two yards away now. I call out for Michael once more. He mumbles, but still in a deep sleep. And then, all of a sudden, the figure starts to dissipate, dissolving quickly into a sort of smoke that resembled a spider's web, spinning rapidly into one large smoke sculpture forming into what looks like a hideous head of a creature. I would describe it as a dragon's head if I had to, that I had frequently seen in Asian architecture, but... The low buzzing just became louder. The creature is looking directly at me now. I only remember its amber eyes that were sort of long narrow slits. And then it charges directly at me as fast as lightning and it hits my chest. I'm then knocked flat on my back, rendering me breathless. Screaming at the top of my lungs now, I finally woke Michael, who jumped out of bed and turned the lights on. Russell came running in too, asking what the heck that us two were screaming about. I'm trying to sleep in case you forgot too, but Michael immediately understood that I was distraught. He picked up Russell, putting him at ease. Mummy just had a bad dream, he said. You know what that's like, Russ, don't you? He put Russ back to bed and joked about Mummy being a big crybaby, and I heard Russell laughing and knew that he would be okay. Although, I was pretty horrified that I had woken up my family like this in this disturbing way. Michael rushed back in quickly and closed our bedroom door. Calm down, Marla. You're hysterical. I was completely filled with dread. Michael, something... Something was really in our room. I thought it was Russell, but... It was something horrible. Not human. 
Marla, it was a bad dream, all right? I told you it was too soon to return to work. The effects of meningitis don't vanish overnight, you know. Many patients recovering have terrible hallucinations, especially creative people like you. Think of it as your brain rewiring, healing itself. Michael, I know you don't believe this, but I'm telling you, something physically knocked me down. I've never felt this way before in my entire life. Please, Michael, I wasn't dreaming. I need you to believe me. Michael returned soon and handed me a mild sedative. Take another big sip of water, Marla. You're going to cancel your business trip, all right? It's obvious that you're too stressed. Your work can wait. All that really matters right now is that you're okay. Remember, you're Russell's mother and he's our first priority, right? You're his safe place and you can't continue to scare him with all of this. Russell was so upset while you're in the hospital. Please, let's not add to it, alright? I love you, Marla, and I promise that you'll be just fine. It's the healing process of your brain, alright? You definitely experienced a hallucination, and it's an unusual sleep disorder, but it happens. And look, I understand that it was frightening. It probably felt very real, but it was just a dream. Why don't you take Russell to the beach tomorrow and enjoy yourself and have some fun? He kisses me and tucks me in, and I just can't shake the dread, the fear, and my heart was physically hurting at this point. I can't stop the tears. I know Michael is right. He's always been my voice of reason. No malice, no dishonesty. It's simply his need to fix things, to find solutions. It's just how he's wired, and in fact, it's why I love him. But I would be lying if I said that my life didn't change that night. And my belief system, my fear will never be the same again after that. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Be Scared podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening, guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. 
New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.